0: 6 is a collection of conversations held during the quarantine caused by the COVID-19 crisis that started for Europe in March 2020. In a time of social distancing and the importance of personal space, I started to wonder how we relate to this notion and the spaces we inhabit. From my room in Leipzig, Germany, I reached out to creatives all over the world to explore with them this idea of space and what it can mean, both personally and in their practice to hear their individual experiences within the given restrictions and if they discover some new truths or awareness in them. My next conversation was with photographer Danielle Faust. So this project is about space in the broadest sense or like in the biggest way you could interpret it because of the whole COVID-19 situation, space is such a topic with two sides because we are kind of restricted in our space and we are suddenly like not allowed to um, share space with other people who we don't live with. And um, there's this whole kind of, our personal space is very restricted. Our free movement is restricted. And I found it really interesting to kind of look at the places or the spaces we are actually still allowed to be in and kind of explore how these restrictions have influence on us and how we relate to these spaces we are suddenly confined to. And then I thought it would be really interesting to talk to people of all different kind of areas of field of work and see how... Um, they relate to the topic of space, how their personal experience has been with the restrictions and how they kind of reflect on their own practice within these restrictions and with that kind of as a background. So maybe a good um, question to start with would be um, to ask you to give a little introduction to the work you do, like your own oh. practice and if space already has a place in it and how it has a place in it.
1: Um, yes, yes, yes. Well, my background is relatively broad, which is to say that, um, well, to to begin with, I went to seven different schools at several different universities across the United States in New York in California and Chicago and briefly in New Orleans studying with many different people. Mm -hmm. For example, in California with Frank X. Baron with regard to creativity. My original studies were in cognitive developmental along with uh, moral reasoning research. Um, and uh, for instance, uh, when I was in Chicago at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, I wanted also to go to the University of Chicago, but I always felt in biology they would not accept me. But uh, at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, um, I was uh, studying uh, avant-garde and experimental uh, filmmaking, and some of my uh, teachers, for example, were uh, P. Adam Sidney uh, and uh, Sam Brakic, uh, and um, that was, for me, important. I had always uh, been involved with photography in the sense that my, <laughs> my grandmother taught my father, And my father taught me and my brothers. So since the age of five years old, I've been photographing. In fact, it's the very early photographs um, that are particularly uh, precious to me. There's a certain clarity of uh, seeing and an openness. Um, But uh, with regard to the art practice that I have, uh, and I'm working in many different places, Uh, I think that New York is very provincial. So for a number of years, I was working in Los Angeles, and uh, Europe has been very receptive to my practice. And um, I have an archive of 35,000 photographs, uh, which over the last three years, I've been, they're slide film, and I've been slowly but methodically uh, organizing them and uh, high resolution scanning them, into uh digital files and now assembling them mm-hmm. um but a footnote if i may is some of my work and some of my income comes by way of general contracting and building and, and construction so i work often uh, with building architects architects who build things mm-hmm. uh, and then also theoretical architects architects that have a lot of ideas who well they never build anything so to me, the, intera- the intersection between art and architecture has uh, been very essential uh, in my practice for a number of years now. Um, there's a, a sort of a separation between the two disciplines, but in certain situations there is uh, cooperation. Although, quite frankly, and I didn't say this and you didn't hear this, I think that architects think that they understand art, but I don't think they quite understand art. Um, so, uh, art becomes a sort of a footnote to the architecture mm-hmm. in a building environment where they say, oh, come on over, build something, it tends to be rather decorative, mm-hmm. uh, and then to fill a footnote of the space, the space being primary and the art being <laughs> secondary at best. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's a little bit of my,
2: my, my background, you yeah.
0: know? Mm-hmm. So, you mentioned you work together with architects, and you create works um, for specific places? Is that what you said?
1: Uh, sort of. Um, in a given situation, uh, I prefer, when available, to uh, produce something which is site-specific. I think that, this, that the size and the proportion is... is, is uh, you know, I introduced you, I guess, yesterday to Kelly Mason, (laughs) who I met through Mike Kelly, 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 but there, but Mike Kelly and I used to have this discussion. Mike also, like me, his background is in psychology, but his psychology was behavioristic psychology. He was studying in in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, and they're famous for their behavioristic psychology, and we would sort of disagree on that, but in a friendly, cordial, collegiate way. Um, But what Mike would say, and I uh, don't uh, exactly agree, is he would produce a work of art and it can literally be exhibited anywhere. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And in in my perspective, if I may, is in a quote unquote ideal situation, um, I like to produce something that addresses the space, that fits in the space, that, that has a conversation with the state that is proportionally fit within the space. A, a, a one I- example is uh, uh, David Elliott, David Elliott, who's in Berlin, who's originally from the UK, uh, organized the, uh, the uh, wh- what was it? It was the Kiev Biennial in uh, Ukraine. This was, I don't know, about five years ago, in an enormous arsenal, a former arsenal manufacturing building in uh, Kiev. And it's probably the largest space I'd exhibited in, um, in in the sense that the the volume of the space was enormous. and then I researched the space and found out what was the function of the space that they built military weaponry and then I wanted to go into the history of the space and of Kiev and of Ukraine and how Ukraine has had this really unfortunate history of being constantly invaded by neighboring countries. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So after literally a half a year or more research with regard to the space and the city and the country, I arrived at um, seven images, seven images uh, to fit within a area of the Arsenal building. And the piece is, is rather large. It's it's about a meter and a half, I'm, I'm thinking meters, I, I can tell you in feet, but me, in feet it's about five feet by about 50 feet. So that would be about a meter and a half by about... Uh, almost 20 meters
0: okay wow mm-hmm. yeah
1: and um it addresses both um kiev i mean <laughs> they're, they're sort of uh, oddly proud of their military museum in the sense that they have uh nuclear weaponry that's on display <laughs> and uh, i connected the dots with other situations uh, past present and future having to do with Kiev and the military. And so so that's one example of fitting it in the given space. Um, Mm -hmm. I I mean, big is not necessarily better. small. I I, I was in an exhibition, for example, in uh, Halle. Halle is in Western, uh, is it Western? Yeah, I think it's Western Austria. It's in Tirol. It's near Innsbruck. Uh, Hubert uh, Saldin, who actually Beatrice von Bismarck knows from Frankfurt days, uh, Hubert was the director. And this, again, it was an enormous former salt storage facility. And one of the artists from Russia uh, produced a piece that was this big. It was... uh, you know an inch by an inch and a half in this norm so to address the space i think it's it's uh, it's a good thing
0: mm-hmm. but it is something you um prefer to consider in the work you make the idea where the, or the goal where the work is going to be
1: uh, yeah but you know it's flexibility it's about um shifting and pivoting, which is to say that uh, creating a work of art in the romantic notion is the lone artist in the studio, but that's not the world that we live in. The world that we live in is we work with curators, we work with buildings, we work with designers, we work with... So it's a, it's a collaboration uh, where you want to share and you want to make the piece better, but you don't... I'll give you a bad example, bad example. And again, I didn't say this and you didn't hear this, but I was invited by um, uh, one of the editors at Parquet in, in Zurich to contribute a series of photographs. And also something, something, uh, I, yeah, it was also something, I was doing something with Harvard University Press and Beaux-Arts uh, Ecole Paris. These were two instances with two designers, and there's no reflection on you, no reflection on you, but two designers basically wanted to take the photographs and design everything where at the end of the day, it was their voice, it was their vocabulary, and sort of like the architecture and the artist, the art became the footnote. I think that's problematic. Now, now, uh, Bar to Bar, for example, and uh, Ghent, who's in Antwerp, uh, would say, and I agree with this, that he is the invisible uh, curator, which is, his, his finger is there, he's a part of it, but it's not pronounced, it's not primary. It's, it's about facilitating. It's about, you, you know, you put a number of people together and ultimately you come up with something better, as opposed to simply one person. I mean, artists, for example, artists, I think, I, I'll give you a bad example and a good example. Uh, there is a piece by uh, Robert Rauschenberg, it's called The Quarter Mile. And it's, it's a rather vast piece. It's literally a quarter mile, It's uh, hundreds of meters. It's, it's, it's wrapped around the, and it's, um, I, I actually met him. He was a very charming person. And some of his pieces are fantastic. Uh, But he tends to be self-indulgent and he throws in everything. And (laughs) some of his, it shouldn't be in there. Okay. So the mediator, which is to say the curator, the designer, has a role in the sense of guiding, in the sense of interpreting, in the sense of mediating, in the sense of translating from the person who's making to the person who's receiving hmm yeah it's,
0: it's like you say it's a um it's a thing very much about interaction space as well like how um how a piece of art like interacts with surroundings like you say for example you, have, you could have a really big um installation but you could also have a really small installation and both could be in interaction with the with a very um big or vast uh, space, like you said, with the arsenal. And the direction, like the difference in dimension already creates a whole different interaction and interpretation for uh, the viewer as well of the artwork.
1: Well, well, another example, if I may, uh, and I'm gonna shift over in a moment, is I I was uh, invited to participate in an exhibition in Houston, Texas, a place called Diverse Works. A very large warehouse, and the design of it was hideous. I mean, the walls, the placement of the walls, it was the most awkward. And I took the liberty of basically making a white cube, uh, three meters by three meters by three meters, within the space and putting my piece within that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So you created your own space to exhibit your work in another space.
1: And putting both a large piece. And a number of small pieces which related. But let me let me speak for a moment, if I may, about New York. Is now I live in a small space. <laughs> it's I'm very lucky because there's a thing called um, uh, rent stabilization, where if you have a lease uh, and if you've had it uh, over time, the cost is reasonable. Uh, but, for example, my neighbors who've moved in in the last few years are paying um, $3,000 a month for a small space, small yeah. space, yeah. $3,000 a month. <laughs> and and then <laughs> the gentrification across the street from me, a former garage, and they're... I'm in the middle of the gentrification of the Soho spreading into my neighborhood. I'm in little Italy and the gentrification in New York in the last 20 years, what's going on economically uh, real estate wise is that across the street from me used to be a garage. In fact, there were three garages within a three block radius and all three garages, no more. And uh, what they built across the street from me, which is an example throughout the city, are uh, deluxe condos for anywhere from five to fifteen million dollars
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they're large and in fact, some of them you can drive your car in and it will take it up so it's absolutely private
2: yeah, wow. um
1: and and the thing the thing is the thing is, and this happens in many cities in London and elsewhere in mm-hmm. Hong Kong. Of these places, and I find this sort of interesting. And 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 uh, most of these apartments are empty. Most of these, because basically, uh, money from uh, from uh, uh, India and uh, other affluent pockets, the one percent of the one percent, are are basically parking anywhere from ten million dollars to hundred million dollars, and taking a space and then leaving it empty they're hardly they're not even there they're mm-hmm. just parking their money supposedly in a safe space so it's <laughs> it's, it's a peculiar world we live in mm-hmm. and and the thing is i actually in in my space because i'm a general contractor and i have cabinet makers and other people in time originally when i got my apartment i had to do the plumbing the electrical everything because it was when i came here it was just a very undesirable neighborhood and space mm-hmm. over time i did the kitchen and now the studio the the, the study and um and i it, it everything fits very well it's all built in i don't really like furniture i i like i, I like uh, invisible architecture okay invisible architecture for example is uh, I would work with an architect uh, and architects like to work with me mm-hmm. uh, and we would spend three months or two years and we'd bring someone by to see the space and they'd go, what did you do? I don't see anything. I, so that we was complete success <laughs> in <Invisible laughs> architecture, which is the simplicity, which is the simplicity is the most complicated thing to do
2: mm-hmm.
1: is, is to make something very simple.
2: Yes, that sounds- and a
1: small space. And I'm sorry. In a small space and a large space, are apples and oranges. One isn't necessarily better than another. I mean, I've worked uh, and been in very large, very uh, affluent spaces. I, for example, I, I renovated the uh, the ambassador of Liechtenstein's penthouse. I uh, spent a year and a half on a landmark brownstone on the Upper West Side, and the the, the taste, the aesthetic, the the not not it's a, so so money doesn't necessarily relate to good.
2: Oh,
1: <laughs> I mean, true. I, I, I mean we. I mean I'm sure you've encountered this. Is there are all these collectors? I mean I was I was taken out to see this tremendous collection in Los Angeles this very wealthy man and the 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 advisor was very proud however the artists chosen and the particular pieces were not very good and then we have a famous uh husband and wife they both worked for the post office They, they you know very middle class modest and they collected drawings and um it's one of the most exquisite and they kept things under the bed and in the closet. And so, so there's, you, we're saying the
2: same thing.
0: I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, how do you actually relate to the space you're in now? Like you said, you live in a small apartment in New York city. Um, how has that actually been with the restriction of free movement for you?
1: Well, the good news is I have a bicycle. I have an aluminum folding bicycle. And literally every day I will ride five to 10 miles and go either to the East River and or the Hudson River, uh, which is a very liberating uh, thing. I'm very lucky. Um, uh, it's, it's, it, I mean, we're in the epicenter, uh, other than of course, Italy and Spain and a few other places. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's people are fearful. Um, there's a lack of social distancing. We don't have testing. The federal government is uh, incompetent. Uh, the good news is we're dealing with seven different states here. The governors have come together: uh, New, New York and Massachusetts and New Jersey and uh, Como. Our governor has uh, been extremely organized uh, addressing this, um, but. Um, uh, I can't. How it's it's it's. it's, it's, Almost every day, almost everyone spends five to ten minutes freaking out, (laughs) and then getting distracted. And then, uh, if you're lucky, uh, you go into work. But but here's the tragedy. The tragedy is this: is we're really fortunate because. African Americans, Hispanics, uh, uh, elderly people, particularly nursing homes, uh, the incarcerated, um, those who live paycheck to paycheck. Um, it's, it's,
2: it's, it's,
1: and not only on a local level, level not only on a local level, but on a national level. And then when you look what's coming around the bend in India, the Middle East in uh, in Asia. Uh, it's, um, I, I've never, I've never witnessed anything at this level. I mean, I was here for 9-11, I was here for 2008 with the financial, uh, the flooding a few <laughs> years ago. I mean, like, uh, but this it is, I woke up one morning shocked, I, I, you know, we're, we're all basically addressing this with a level of denial because it's so overwhelming. The fact of the matter is 9-11, the two planes and the buildings, that was three and a half thousand people. And that really didn't surprise me. I mean, America is very, av- very arrogant, imperialistic globally. Um, and I, I'm surprised with the way that Trump is behaving, that something even worse isn't coming around the band. But we're at the point in the United States, about sixty thousand people. It's going to be a hundred thousand people in New York. it's like twenty thousand people. it's it's beyond it's staggering
0: no, you know? yeah, in a way we're all kind of. We all have. We are all in the same situation, and
1: um... no, no, we're not. I'm sorry, oh. we're not. Because, because <laughs> I, I, I just let me well. just clarify: is because <laughs> in South Korea and in Germany, your governments have stockpiled. You have medical equipment <laughs> and you have testing. Yeah, so
0: that's what I want to say. Like we're all kind Please. of this, the big situation that has the influence and that makes the restrictions, like the the reason behind it is for everyone the same. So everyone kind of suffers, but there's a whole spectrum of like the severity or the impact on people. And I think, like you say, we can be really grateful for um, kind of, uh, I don't know, so level of influence it has on us. Like we, okay, we still have to sacrifice some things like seeing family or friends or kind of the, um, freedom of going outdoors but it's in comparison to so many people um like it's very very relative like you say
1: well it depends whether you're in the city Mm -hmm. i I mean the the, those who are affluent uh, have (laughs) houses uh Mm -hmm. by the ocean or up in the mountains they're not here (laughs) and and it depends also particularly where you're located you know some some places are hardly affected it's it's it's
2: uh, strange but true yeah Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and so how long have you been living in new york city actually uh
1: i came here by way of new orleans and chicago in 1980 so we're looking at 40 years
0: okay wow so the um, the way you see changing now like you have a very um like you know the city very well so how do you think it has changed right now
1: well new york is uh, i came here for culture i came here for the conversations that, that we're having but that's not new york anymore new york is about money mm-hmm. it's about money and power mm-hmm. it, it, it it that's that's why i like places like leipzig or for example i was in buffalo new york which is a very poor community, but it's meaningful. And here in New York, and short-term, this virus will uh, improve the art world. By improving, I mean that there's a lot of decoration, there's a lot of junk, there's a lot of Jeff Koons, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of strategy, but very little of it has to do with art. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the commerce, it's all the art fairs, and I mean, but that's, that's not really so short term, I think, because, excuse my French, we're in deep shit. If you've ever been to the hospital, or if you've ever had a a member die, it's about mortality, where you see very clearly what's important and, and what's superfluous. Mm-hmm. And we're in that moment. We're in that moment where everything has stopped, and we're saying, "Well, what have we been doing? Why is the velocity of the universe progressively getting faster and faster? Where are we running away from? Where, where are we running away from? And where, we, where are we running to?"
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the, the answer is, we're running in circles. <laughs> No, that's very true. Yeah, because I work- short term this is good. Long term, two to four years, we're going to be back where we started, and the world's going to be even faster. But another thing that's going on now, which is exactly what we're doing, I think that I think that there's a new medium. And I speak with some medium people about this, video people and technological people and the kids, it's a generational thing. I mean, I don't know the kids who are 15 and 25 years old, they're much smarter in, you know, they're much, you know, they live and I think, I think there's a new medium, which is coming which the zoom is sort of the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. And I had this conversation, for example, an hour ago with Bologna, and then also with California, which is, you do an exhibition, you do an exhibition in Leipzig, you do an exhibition wherever, and maybe 25 people will see it, maybe a hundred people will see it. But I think, and in, and in, in this, what is the Instagram and all that other stuff, the social, I, I'm not, it's, like it's, it's, it's I don't want to make a value judgment. I wouldn't say that it's pollution, but it's verbose. Let's put it that way. It's verbose that there's a, there is too much information and a lot of it is uh, mumbo jumbo, blah, blah, blah. And so with the Instagram or, or these other social mediums, I mean, they're okay. I mean, it's a form of communication, but the discussion that I'm having right now with some colleagues and also in Istanbul and other places is that potentially we have a new medium here, which you and I are practicing in a sense, but it's rather stagnant Mm -hmm. and to enliven it and to make it an interactive, to me, that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Whether it'll materialize or, or not, the potential is there. I mean I, I'm trying to help a museum friend, for example, because the economy is a disaster and the cutting to culture is is enormous. Even in Germany, and I'm very jealous of Germany because other countries like Italy or it's 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 it is it, even in California, which is the fifth largest economy in the world, even in California, where it has 40 million people, even in California, it has half of the homeless population. Even in California, the museums, the, uh, the art handlers, the security guards, the, the uh, adjuncts, the part-times, gone. Mm-hmm. And most of them are not coming back. I mean, I was at the Metropolitan Museum on March 9th. Three days later, it closed. It's closed until July. Um, and they're going to have to cut. They're losing, they estimate $150 million, 150. And one of the discussions is, with the social distancing, and forgive me, I'm going off on tangents here, but one of the issues is, where's the income of the museum? And in some museums, maybe a third or half of it is in the admittance. So you go into a museum, you pay, I don't know, five, 10 euro, and that is the income. But with the social distancing, that that's so, mm-hmm. so we have a we, we have a whole new paradigm and everyone's trying to plan things. But every day, every week. Mm-hmm. So there's it, it, it's fascinating and kind of bizarre.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's very interesting you mentioned the thing about the museum, because um, in another conversation, we were also talking about like what would be kind of the future of the art world. Like you say, it all gets, um, like you reflect on like how, what like, what does it mean? Um, well, like, well how, let me, how let how me just,
2: focus
1: forgive me, let me just throw in the pragmatics. The pragmatics, speaking with a friend who organizes biennials, or or art fairs the crowds that that's not going to happen
0: no and it was really interesting because this person they said maybe um maybe it's also like a very optimistic kind of approach to it but he said that maybe it would kind of get back to a more intimate way of interacting with art and that kind of the the future may not lie in these big museums where like large large groups of people um, come together, but maybe it would kind of shift towards uh, gallery spaces where you are like with less people and kind of one-on-one, there's a more one-on-one interaction with the work. I would hope
1: so. Mm. I would think so. But I think quite honestly, that's idealistic. Mm. I, I don't... An example of yesterday, not tomorrow, is the Whitney Museum. Is, is, uh, who is the architect from Italy? Uh, that is a social space. You, you know why people go to that museum? They don't go to look at the art. They go to spend time with their friends or have a coffee or go on the and look at the Hudson River. I, I, I mean, what, what you're saying, who you're referring to, I absolutely agree in the sense of the intimacy. The thing about art, which is fantastic, is it suspends time. A great work of art suspends time, neither yesterday or tomorrow. Or you, it, there's a pre, There's a physical presence to being, and you're not gonna get it on the internet or any of that. You, the physicality of being in the space, of being in the presence, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, because like you say, the virtual world, like, if you would compare the situation happening now towards comparing the situation happening 50 years ago, like, there's so much kind of luxury in the fact that we have this digital and virtual world where we can still kind of connect or share. Or
1: it, 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 share. Ava, art is popular now, 20, 40 years ago, you'd go into a museum empty. Mm. I mean it's now a popular kind of form of entertainment (laughs) you know the intimacy and the the romantic notion of you know it's I, I like the idea but I don't quite honestly think if there are 100 people who go into a museum how many people are really other than ourselves who are professionals why are they there and what are they doing
0: yeah, but it's interesting as well then to interpret it as more as a social space instead of a cultural space, like you said, the other the Whitney Museum. Do you think the Whitney
1: Museum is a yeah, uh,
0: yeah? You know, think, and, and
2: that's
1: that's been the function of many. <laughs> let me put it this way: uh, Renzo Piano is the architect. It's from, he's from, uh, where is it? Genoa. I, in fact, I've spent time in Genoa. It's, and that's where the bridge <laughs> collapsed, but that's another story. Uh, there's the Bilbao effect. You know, the Bilbao effect is Frank Gehry built this jazzy kind of in Spain, this museum. And if if we build it, they will come. <laughs> mm-hmm. And And that's a lot of this crazy million 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 dollar boom is if they build it we will if they if we build it they will come <laughs> that's the bilbao effect which is it, it, it's okay it's not about art it's not about art it's about it's not about culture it's about tourism tourism the the the, the museum of modern art Every 5, 10, 15 years, they're expanding it. Now, now, why are they expanding it? They're expanding it for the tourists, for the crowds who come in. And it's about crowd control.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's, it's, I mean, I don't mean to be critical or, or negative, but I mean, that's the tourist industry. And the tourist industry is one of the five largest industries I- in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. So... It kind of goes back to the thing we um, you said in the beginning of the relation between the architecture and the piece of art as and the art more as a footnote or a kind of decoration for the space. I, I, I would hope it's otherwise. I, I mean,
1: Gerhard Richter, you know Gerhard Richter, of course, I mean, he's putting pieces in cathedrals and um, there, there are good examples. There are, but there are not that many good examples. But when it works, it can be... Uh, fantastic
0: Mm -hmm. you find a space where your work is shown really important and you said you also kind of sometimes make these installations within a space do you then also think about the fact that um the museum or the cultural space turns or is also very much focused on a social space is that something you work with or consider with with exhibiting your work well let me
1: circuitously address what you're asking which is a good question is i am in the midst for three years now of preparing a piece which um, again forgive me i'm going to say in feet it's is five feet by 150 feet which mm-hmm. is a meter and a half by uh 50 meters and it consists of 3,000 images and i'm in the middle of putting a book together and it will travel it'll be uh in the United States, probably in Philadelphia and in California, and perhaps in Chicago, and um, uh, also in in Europe, in Asia, and uh, other places, uh, Russia and Istanbul and uh, uh, Vienna and so on. And he, he, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The thing is, um, when you make a piece and you show it in different cities and countries. Uh, it's understood very differently,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is, to me, it's very fascinating. It's very fascinating. An example is Hu Hanru, who's at the Maxi in Rome, uh, had commissioned me to make a piece for the Istanbul Biennial. Mm-hmm. And that piece that he chose um, is from the United Nations. And these are a series of photographs where I was in and around the United Nations building. Now when we produced this piece and when we showed it in Istanbul, I think it was exactly what he wanted to do, which was to be provocative. Mm -hmm. And uh, a number of people uh, both in uh, Istanbul and when when we went out into another community were actually, (laughs) they were very angry with the United Nations and their administrative policies. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So, you know, you can make a work, but it functions in different ways in different places. I mean, Jackson Pollock, for example, who I included in Kiev, to me was a very important figure, not only because I, I, I love his work, and he was a, 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 a difficult... He, he, Jackson Pollock's work in the 1950s, the function of the work when the, when the U.S. government chose to exhibit the work in other countries became a form of propaganda that we are free.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in New York or in Europe or it, it has a different uh, function in a sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. But it's interesting you also bring up the work of uh, Jackson Pollock because his work is also very much about navigating a space because his work is so much about the movement of the creation process and um, yeah. Kind of the in, like navigating space, but then um, of the artist instead of the visitor. And um, you say, you mention all these examples of um, your installations, which seems to be really large format mostly.
1: Not always. I think yeah. I think it's important to take care that big is not necessarily better. In fact, I've seen a lot of big work. In fact, I've made a few pieces myself where it has failed. Because I think different work, if you listen to it, suggests what size it should be. An example is the Cindy Sherman, the small black and whites are exquisite. Her medium to large pieces, I find very awkward. I don't think they
2: work uh, off, they don't work, yeah. yeah. But but the, I, I, the, to me, that's uh, you
1: bring up something that really is very important is is, is the process. Mm-hmm. To me, that's more than anything. Uh, that's it's not the physical object at the end of the day. It, it's, it's not the painting that the paint is dried and everything. And for me, that's always been the most important and the most fascinating is the very process. And as an example, is I'd worked uh, with uh, David Edwards. David Edwards is a uh, is a uh, medical he's a medical engineer, and he's uh, over in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I uh, worked with him on a publication, and literally for a half a year, I followed him, and we collaborated on this. And again, this is the process. He was very interested, as am I. How do artists create? How do scientists work? How do uh, architects? So I would literally go with him into the MIT and the Harvard labs (laughs) to see Mm -hmm. things that were frozen, things that were heated. He took me to uh, a a MIT uh, inventor, uh, I forget his name offhand, who has had more inventions than Thomas Edison had more inventions than Thomas's. He was a brilliant, uh, unusual character. And I literally went into his house. I photographed in his house, all over the house. And my question to him was, how do you invent so much? Where do your ideas come from? And I thought, "I, I, I think it's the bedroom that when he goes to sleep, he has dreams and he listens to his dreams. And he has the Eureka solution in the morning." No. It was the exercise room.
0: (laughs) Productive and both.
1: Robert Langer. Robert Langer. More inventions. It's
2: yeah.
0: And
1: let me give you a footnote here. His house near Cambridge, Massachusetts, is the biggest house I have ever been in. And it's atrocious. <laughs> he has a mini bowling alley downstairs for his kids. I mean it's just it's the biggest, dumbest house. I so let's talk about space. Here's a brilliant bad bad example.
0: Hmm. Yeah, related to the, the fact that the examples you gave me of your own work were these very large um format ones. What was kind of the reasoning behind um these dimensions and how um I'm going to reverse that question I'm going
1: to reverse that question is you brought up I think something important which is intimacy Mm -hmm. which is not what you think but how do you feel Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so when you create something be it a a piece of text or your own uh design of something not what you think about it, but how does it make you feel?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, what color is it? Is it a purely visual thing? Is it an emotional thing? Uh, so I think that the intimacy is, is a very essential element to all of this. And when it's big, sometimes it, it actually is not intimate, and that can be a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Is it something you, because you work with Large Format, is it something... um,
1: Yeah, but right now I'm working, forgive me for jumping in, I'm working actually, you might appreciate this, I'm working on a book. Mm -hmm. I've worked on a few publications, but this this is related to the large piece, Mm -hmm. but this is a book, and the book is, it's a whole different size. Yeah. So how, in a sense, they feed each other, both the very large and the very small.
0: Mm-hmm. And how have you been finding it to kind of nav- navigate the space of a book, um, trans- trying to translate your work, which is way more in a space to the space of a book, which is a whole different space than a... a That's a good
1: question. Book. It's it's uh, At times, it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at other times, it's very exciting uh i sometimes i don't know the answer um you see we're back to the creative process which you see i i went to art school and university and college and so on and you learn all this intellectual stuff you know um but but where's Where's the creativity? Why isn't there a course? Why isn't there a major in it? Why isn't there a subject matter? Why isn't there more about it? To me, Mm -hmm. uh, I feel fortunate. I have a good intellectual ability, not a great one, but I think creativity wise, I've been fortunate Mm
0: -hmm. to have
1: gained this from my mother and a few other people. And to me, that's what it's all about, or at least a, a big piece of the pie. So, with regard to your question of the book is I want to make mistakes. Okay. I I want to do things wrong. I, 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 and then I want to reconfigure things. Uh, To me is the creative process is to take a chance and sometimes fail, but to learn from it um, to me is, uh, I mean, I think that's, that's so with a book, Very simplistic. There's the beginner's mind and there's the expert's mind. This is sort of a Zen thing, which is the beginner's mind is open to everything and the expert's mind is sort of narrow. So if you can combine the two in a sense and open this, let a closure, uh, I think it's a very
2: uh, healthy balance. Mm
0: -hmm. You mentioned the thing of failure and exploring this kind of new medium. This is not something you're scared of? Because I think a lot of artists um or are kind of held back in their process because they're scared of failure but it seems as if you it is something you kind of try to i think that's yeah i think
1: we're using rather large descriptive words and failure i don't know maybe there's another word for that fear that's a big word also Mm -hmm. i you know what i think it is i think it's about stretching it's about pivoting i mean right now Right now, the world, the velocity is so fast. None of us have ever felt or witnessed this before. Not, you know, so much has changed in the last six weeks that it's going to take months or more to get our equilibrium. But the thing is, I also find it very exhilarating. I find it very exhilarating in the sense that everything is upside down, backwards, and... Uh, You don't know what's going to happen. And to me, in there, other than the tragedy of unfortunate people having, is there's an opening of something. Mm -hmm. There's a possibility. And uh, to me, when when an artist is scared or whoever in any given field, they're scared or they've been successful and they do something, they have a formula. They have like... Well, I'm going to do that again. Well, that's worked. Well, I'm going to try this again because it's successful. Oh, I'm going to do this because I'm going to make money. Oh, I'm going to do this because people are going to like me. I'm going to do this. No, 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 no. It's it's a. I mean, that's the thing. For example, about Jacks Pollock, is you know you develop, you 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 grow, you change. If you have a formula, I think you've failed. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 you know what it is. Is it is scary and it is difficult, and and you will fail for lack of a better word. But it's about stretching and pivoting, and a, a good education on both sides of the, be it the teacher or this, is is it's about learning. It, there's someone a very important mentor to me, like a big brother who's who sadly passed recently, and the one of the elements that. He was eternally curious. He was hungry. You could never feed him enough. And he was extremely youthful. And you don't have to be 20 years old to be youthful. You could be 80 years old. He had this curiosity and this hunger, like a friend of mine, Richard. um, And Richard is interested in everything. Everything. And and to me, that's a beautiful thing
0: hmm definitely, definitely, it's so important to like curiosity is such a drive for um yeah exploration, I think, and if you kind of held back by fear, then you can't discover these new places but it, um it's also interesting what you said about that the situation now kind of puts us off balance and that we'll have to like have a lot of time to kind of find the balance again and um Do you think it opened up a new space for this curiosity and this exploration of what it can mean? And does that also reflect, um, does it also make you reflect on your practice? Do you think you will kind of have a different approach of thoughts and um, findings you have in this period that you will take into your later work?
1: Oh, you're asking a number of things. First of all, as I said earlier, I think that there will be a slight change, there will be a slight improvement, <laughs> but in two to four years it'll bounce back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I believe I'm being realistic. I mean, I'm idealistic and I'm hopeful, but realistically, um, actually, Barbara van der Linden, who's in Brussels, who's a philosopher and a curator. I'm reaching out to a number of people, and we're having these discussions, Mm -hmm. exactly what you and I are talking about. Um, Oh, we have an opportunity, and there's always going to be a lot of junk. There's always going to be a lot of problems. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, For me, it's actually a very nice moment because, as I said from the beginning, I went to seven different schools over 10 years across the United States. I've been working in Europe. I've been working... In uh, I, I, I organized the South African Pavilion for Venice. I, I am in discussion later in the week with someone in Istanbul and then someone in Moscow. and that we're 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 all like, I've always believed in this. I've always believed in uh, sharing openness and cooperation that at the end, it helps everybody. and not to be competitive, or closed, uh, or greedy, but to be open and to share because it, it, it ultimately benefits everyone. Not to to be cooperative. I, I mean, right now, for example, we're dealing with the virus and the, the the pharmaceutical. You know, if everyone, and this is ideal, because at the end it's going to be about money. But if, you know, pharmaceutical companies in five different countries, in Germany or South Korea or. or China, come together for a moment and cooperate, fantastic things could happen. So that's, to me, there's a moment now where I'm dealing with some people, they've they've been closed, okay? We do it this way, this works for us, we have our five friends, and it works, and we're going to do that. I mean, I've reached out to a museum educator who never responded. And then I reached out to an associate of hers and I said, "Well, I'm having these discussions with a theoretical education in Vienna, with mm-hmm. a anthropologist in San Francisco, with uh, a medical bioengineer, with and to me that's exhilarating is the perspectives and how the problem is in the different disciplines, for example, at Berkeley at the university, which is very interesting, is there's this fighting, there's this separation, there's this distance between them. I mean, I'm actually trying to get Bologna University and Berkeley to cooperate with each other. And the the, the thing is, is that the university, the art department and the museum are totally separate. And and to me, that's, that. doesn't work but that's the that's the world we live in and that's the problem but that we have a moment of openness and very soon the door is going to close
0: yes i think it's also very much about boundaries and kind of the the closing of boundaries but also the opening because like very um concrete the boundaries of countries are closed right now but what does it mean for a um for a virus what does a boundary of a country mean for a virus like it's an abstract thing it's not really um a real thing but then there are also like boundaries in our personal movement but then people also seem to kind of break open or try to break open these boundaries and it's kind of a tendency that has been there for like a few years i think like trying to be more open and trying to create community and now this kind of whole situation um literally brings us back um to ourselves and um keep these boundaries in how do you say it um enforce these boundaries but i think Mm -hmm. like you say it's also very much about breaking suddenly these boundaries because people realize that kind of the more boundaries come closer to us the more we want to break them and this situation i think also is a very good starting point to create community and find this new openness and find this new space to explore within these restrictions and i think that's something a bit like you're saying that people have a different approach. i'm,
1: I'm hopeful but realistically unfortunately i'm doubtful mm. but i'll tell you this i'll tell you this what I also find, regardless of this virus, I'm 64 years old and the last five to 10 years, you know where I've been learning the most? I've been learning the most from kids like you, from a different generation, because the perspectives are very different. And it's not just the age or the generation, it's the attitude. I mean, but when I, encounter rigidity a closure boundaries Mm -hmm. to me that's the beginning of the end Mm -hmm. Uh, but when you say boundaries that could mean a variety of things
0: yes definitely because we have like the boundaries of our homes like our walls but then we find this new kind of world economical yeah our computers and we have like this virtual world we can explore but then we also have like the boundaries of a nation. Um, But what does that mean? Like, I don't know. I think it makes people also kind of reflect more on the bigger structures we live in, um, where before we weren't really aware or kind of, um, how do you say, Uh, bothered by it. But suddenly, because it becomes a thing, we are suddenly aware that they're there and we kind of want to react to them, I think.
1: Well, uh, an example of that is that the United States is an island onto itself. I mean, mm-hmm. comparatively with Europe. I mean, I heard from a friend in Austria that there was someone in, who was in Leipzig who was trying to go across the border to Austria and they couldn't.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, so there are certain countries, I, I mean, New York, again, I'll say is very provincial as is the United States. I'll give you one example is when I lived and went to school in California, most people didn't have a passport. <laughs> you know, the, the, the big adventure of their lifetime would be to go to Hawaii or to Mexico. <laughs> when I'm here in New York and there's someone on, on the subway and they're going to the beach, that's the, that's the furthest distance they'll ever go in their their, their, they'll never go to New Jersey or so boundaries
2: I mean Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah and is it um, um, the restrictions and the boundaries that are implied uh, on us on you do you find um, do they make you reflect uh, on the things you do daily and like the work you make Do you find a new inspiration in it or approach?
1: Yes and no. And I've had this discussion with a number of writers and artists is they're used to being alone. I mean, you're in the studio working, but it's different. It's undoubtedly different because, um, you know, there's voluntary and then there's involuntary. And this in a sense is involuntary, but it's also necessary. Mm That's the simple, but of course it's a very good question, but there's uh, more to it. Mm
0: -hmm. And the subject of uh, your uh, practice as a photographer, I don't actually, I'm not familiar with, but I can Mm -hmm. imagine that being a photographer, um, being enclosed in a space, uh, Mm -hmm. are you still practicing? Um, Are you still taking pictures or is it kind of, Has it slowed down for now? Um,
1: Selecting, editing, and assembling. And you know what I've been uh, doing in the last few days is a lot of photographs on a plane. (laughs) If only, yes, no, yeah.
0: So that's kind of slowed down for now?
1: No, no. On the one hand, the world is my studio in the sense that when I'm photographing, I'm often in a different city or in a different country. Mm-hmm. um on the other hand it could be in your own backyard yard and you haven't been aware or uh, familiar with it i mean there you are in leipzig you, you know you 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 could go literally a hundred meters to a place that you've never spent a half an hour really mm-hmm. experiencing so it could be near it could be far uh, but my practice is both uh, on the plane traveling in different cities and countries uh and i mean i have an archive that I've been working on and so that continues.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you experienced it at the places you are familiar with, like your home and your neighborhood, the city you lived in for so long? Has it made you, do you see it through new eyes or a new uh, viewpoint?
1: Well, I mean the the, the density for example, um, riding the bicycle, it's very easy. Um, but there's a, there's a little bit of danger because some people are very scared and there's a slight amount of crime and there's a lot of homelessness, which is uh, it's, it's the brutal honesty of it uh, is uh, there are a lot of uh, people who are homeless to begin with. And many of don't want to go to the shelters um, and uh, have uh, the virus and uh, are on the streets. And in fact, they've been in the subways. Uh, and now they're closing down the subways at night uh, to clean the subways.
2: And it's
1: sort of i I'll give you one example. So, I went to the uh, Polish store uh, last Saturday uh, and um, I come out of the store and I have a few things. You, first of all, there were only four people allowed in the store, social distancing. And of course, half of the people were casual and were not social distancing. And now you're required to wear a mask. But a lot of people are very careless about these things. And I come out of the store and um, under a bus shelter, a homeless woman comes to me and she says she's hungry. And um, normally I would think, um, well, you know, you'll be okay or someone or whatever. And at this moment, that's this is the moment. This is the moment to support and help people. Mm. This is the moment. Very difficult.
2: Mm.
1: And this woman came to me. She said she was hungry. And I said, would you like some chicken? She said, I'm allergic to chicken. And I said to her, well, would you like some pea soup or some
2: beet soup? She took the bee soup the beat soup. And, uh, so that's, it's, it's, it's a very difficult moment.
1: Yeah. Someone says to me that we're all together. Well, we're not all together. No. The brutal honesty is, is that the people who are paycheck to paycheck, um, they can't pay their rent. They can't feed their family and the federal government and all the trillions of dollars, excuse me, we're fucked. It, it, I mean, with Trump, and it's, 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 it, it's going to get brutal. This is the beginning of it. This is not the end of it. This is not the middle. This is the beginning. And the governmental cuts that are coming, This this is the beginning of the pain.
0: Yeah. And we are, I think, both in a position that we will actually not really... Realize the real severity of um, what some people will be going through.
1: Well, you're you're gonna. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have it at, at your school. I mean, all the schools. I mean, all the people. I, all, they're going to be cut. Some of the adjuncts are going to be gone. They're going to try to save money by by trying to do the the internet, the Zoom, and all that. I mean, mm-hmm. students, uh, Columbia University and other schools are saying, or Yale, or or you know, okay schools not are saying. Uh, we're not going to pay. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the students from China, that's where they charge full tuition. That's where a lot of schools make their money. Mm -hmm. They're not coming. It's it's so, so you, your, your fellow students locally, nationally, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is the beginning of, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean you you could be very talented. You could be very skilled, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day It's hard work Mm -hmm. and perspiration. That's no matter how even even this great inventor uh, He works like a dog Mm -hmm. He's always hungry and curious and also he surrounded himself i mean when you create a community you support each other they could say hey i have a great job for you
0: (laughs) yeah and that's true no yeah the effect of community is very um important right now like it makes us reflect on how we like do we have a community and if we have a community it also makes us reflect on the quality of the community and kind of the interaction i think as well and um Yeah, I think that's kind of a realization a lot of people will start to make. Uh, But you also mentioned that you are having these conversations like we're having now with um, other people, you know?
2: Oh, yes. yes.
0: um, Is that something that you uh, already did in your normal life, like before the COVID-19? I've always been
1: very curious and I've always loved to collaborate, but this is different. This is. I mean, also, this is this is survival. I, I mean, we're we're entering a new world, and uh, how wh- what do you do? I, I mean, I I feel cautiously optimistic. I may be delusional, <laughs> but um, I I think it's and maybe in two three years, but I, I think. You've got to really be on your toes at this moment. Really, it's important to keep the ear to the ground and also a, a strategy that we're having. Uh, I know people; they leave the radio and the television on all the time in the news. I, 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 I think they're going nuts. I, I, you got, I, I just for survival, I got to turn it off. It's too much. You also, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's way too much input and kind of way too much stimulants that is not good for your peace of mind i think it's a way of also protecting yourself mentally i think not only physically but also mentally it has such an impact on everyone even in ways we maybe not really um, noticed yet already but it's a whole such a whole new situation for everyone that just for your mind to comprehend what's happening it's so hard so listening to the news all the time it also makes you like it raises your anxiety and like survival instinct, I think. But I want to circle back to the, um, the thing we were talking about, about community and um, your interaction with these people and these conversations you're having. Do you notice a change in the interactions you're having right now in the terms of quality or frequency or the people you are approaching?
1: I'm in the middle of a discussion with three friends who are in Moscow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've spent time in Ekaterinaberg, which is at central and in Moscow. And, um, I, I'm basically in discussion with five people, three of them, uh, come to mind. One of them is, um, Elisa. Elisa. is, um, uh, I, you probably haven't looked at it, but I thought I sent it. It's a video, of her son Yuri mm-hmm. and this is how he reacted to the lockdown
2: mm-hmm.
1: is he kind of created a world onto himself contained in this apartment
2: mm-hmm.
1: he was playing I, I found i found that fascinating
0: in in the sense that he found a world where he was comfortable to experienced a real world well
1: i don't know i guess we're getting a little psychological or projecting here but on the one hand children have a fantasy world or a self-invented world particularly only children comparatively when they have brothers or sisters but when i originally called and spoke on the phone all of a sudden he's he's like he's 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 grabbing onto his mother he's Going and you know, I, I, it was a, it was a WhatsApp. All of a sudden, there he is, <laughs> you know. And he wanted all the attention from his mother. He was contained. He was hyperactive. And of course, kids they bounce around and they want to go out and play. But to me, that was very fascinating. Um, is because they were in lockdown. He was contained and it made him more uh, simply more. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's That was his response in a sense. I, I hear this from other uh, parents with kids. Uh, Dieter uh, Roland Stott, who's from Antwerp, uh, a philosopher who's University of Chicago, has a son uh, by the name of uh, Isidore, which was my grandfather's name from from Austria. Isidore is three years old and I when I asked uh, Dieter how's he doing he was like my son is uh, you know because people are used to you know you go to kindergarten or the kid is out or you're working but when you're it's a fascinating phenomenon of when people are contained together. I mean. I don't know if you've heard these stories, but part partners, for example, or families, you know, husbands and wives, sometimes they get along great. Other times, they they're ready to. <laughs>
0: yeah, like the divorce numbers in I think it was <laughs> China have actually gone up after the quarantine, which is a bit. I sad. think this.
1: Is, I think this is minor, but. I think it was nine eleven or some other major, where nine months later, there are more births on that given week.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. So right now in Moscow, you know, it started, it, it, let's do the chronology for a moment, okay? And it started in China, in January actually it, it came to California in February that we only recently realized that uh, and then uh, you know Italy was affected, and Spain was affected and it's sort of spreading it's sort of this slow virus that's spreading all so it's it's fascinating and frightening and what's going on right now last week and this week in Moscow is it's there and more people are infected and it's, it, it's sort of like around the world you can sense or the reality is it sort of goes there mm-hmm. and it becomes profound and then it sort of wow. goes someplace else. It's kind of a fascinating, uh, eerie, frightening thing. So wh- when I'm in touch, for example, uh, when I'm in touch with Makati, Makati is in Johannesburg, or I'm in touch with uh, Muna. Muna is in Cape Town at the moment with his uh, partner who's from Germany. Uh, and um, it, it, how people respond. I mean, it's, it's sort of fascinating because you would think in New York and in London, and these are affluent, civilized, but the structure, the, the, protection and the the medical and there are some areas actually that are affluent i mean there's of course germany and south korea but there are some areas where the community they're either prepared or they're not really affected so much it's, it's kind of a fascinating phenomenon in a sense mm-hmm. so you I, I, some... I mean it's morbid but it's fascinating
0: no definitely because it really In my personal opinion it really shines a light on all the things that were kind of invisible before like you say we have all these affluent places like all these cities
1: social economical inequities it's brutally honest
0: yes it's it's, that's exactly like what it is it's brutally honest and kind of heartbreaking as well to realize that even in these places that seem to be so of such a high quality level that even these places are still kind of failing to support their communities well let me
1: forgive me absolutely let me go back and reiterate california largest state 40 30 40 million people fifth largest economy has the most millionaire billionaires Mm -hmm. and it has half half of the homeless population now i haven't been there recently but if you're driving in los angeles there are shanty towns of people living.
2: I mean, it's, un, it's now, it's
0: so... Oh, well, I didn't even know that. Staggering,
2: yeah, no, it's,
0: yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's also interesting what you said about the boy, um, like the son that had kind of created his own world or his own kind of presence in the space to deal with the being confined in the space. And I think that's something we're all kind of trying to do to find our own world or approach. Um,
2: Th-
1: <laughs> I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't share it literally because it's called space film. I, I shared it because he was in his head. I mean, he was sort of in space, but it's it's sort of like all of us are finding a world, mm-hmm. an internalized world. Mm-hmm. And I thought that in a sense, that's what he was doing.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah. And it's something we're all, um, looking for a way to deal with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've been talking for a long time already, I think. And I think we've been like, we've covered actually a lot of the questions or topics I wanted to talk about like in a raising way. So I'm, really really grateful for the conversation we just had
1: I you know I may have to call you doctor I mean
0: doctor why
1: Well, oh, you like a psychoanalytic uh, mutual therapy <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's good like we both gained something from it
1: <laughs> I, I hope you've uh, I maybe you feel a little better maybe you feel a little worse maybe you've
0: uh... <laughs> no but it's really it's really true because um, being at home like i'm home now in my home in my space in leipzig but i still can have this interaction with you who are like literally an ocean away in new york um and i'm actually really grateful to kind of have these um conversations and to hear all these people with all these different thoughts and ideas because it's also it was also a thing that came up in another conversation that we live in a very extroverted world in a way where the focus is very much on energy, like high energy, like going, working for what you do. And kind of the introverted part of us is um, like pushed away for a bit because it's not really what we want it to be. But now this whole dynamic has shifted because the people who are comfortable in their homes and who love to be more quiet, um, they are now in the... Better position because they are in their comfort space, and the people who are extroverted are kind of shaken because they can't go out and see people and do all this stuff they also want to do. And um, yeah, I think that's also funny because it gives you a bit of power as well. Because I think I'm also more of a like having this conversation doesn't come natural to me, but I really feel like it has a positive in, impact on me being able now to have these conversations, kind of in the comfort of my home, but still reaching out to other ones and talking to other people, it really creates a kind of community or sense of um, community. So very grateful that there are also people who want to share that with me. Well, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time, um, making the free time to have it. Thank you for sharing all these ideas and thoughts with me, really.